He continues. Upon receiving this notice, DESE immediately contacted the Missouri Office of Administrative ITSD, a lot of acronyms, who programs and maintains the web application to remove public access to the portal and update the code. Oh, I can see my video now. Maybe it's working. Let me know. I'll keep reading Governor Mike Parsons' tweets because it is funny. (laughs) This matter is serious. The state is committing to bring justice to anyone who hacked our system, control you, and anyone who aided and encouraged them to do so. Shit, that might have been me. In accordance with the Missouri law allows and requires. (laughs) Okay, I'm back on. (laughs) Just, Just reading ridiculous politician statements until everyone confirmed it was working. We're working. All right, cool. We're back. I don't know what happened. I didn't actually end up rebooting my PC. I started shutting down stuff, and it's like, oh, I've got all my windows in a nice position. I really don't want to have to do that. But I did update OBS, which does seem to have made a difference. So let me scroll back to like 10 minutes ago when I started saying, thank you, Burton, for joining. You got first in. That was really awesome. (laughs) And Ilya Frankel. Uh, And as I was saying before, when nobody heard me because my stream wasn't working, I like the beers in the uh, emoji there. I, I, I literally just went with water, even though it's late on a Friday afternoon, uh, and now I feel like I want beer. But yeah, anyway. Mm. So, <laughs> back where I was. Sponsor. Sponsor this week, before I jump into everything else, because this has been like a really massive week, and I know that this is just going to go for ages. Sponsor this week is Axonius. Now, Axonius provides an always up-to-date asset inventory, which is really kind of important because... Many organizations don't know where their assets are or their database backups are. Look at you, Thingiverse. We'll come back to you. Axonius, helping IT and security uncover gaps and automate action. Learn more and try for free. And this is something I've sort of been pushing sponsors on a bit. Like, look, if you want to get traction, please give something away that's attractive uh, for people to come and have a look at. So Axonius do have a free trial. So go have a live walkthrough of the platform. Go in and get a go at their asset management stuff so that you know where your assets are. And with any luck, you won't end up on my website because nobody wants to be on my website. All right. So for everyone else joining in, it looks like we have tackled everything here. Johnny Doc says, is that Lenovo uh, W11, Windows 11? No. (laughs) We're not getting along at the moment, that machine and me. Not at least as uh, far as Windows 11 upgrades go, so I just have left it. Maybe I'll do this machine over the weekend, actually. That might be a good idea. As if somehow I don't have work to do on the weekend. But anyway. Uh, (laughs) Nick007 says, okay, Troy, we can go and grab a beer. We will wait. I've got an even better solution. I have a uh, a wonderful, wonderful fiance downstairs. Would you mind bringing me a beer, please? See, uh, see how that works. <laughs> this would be awesome if I just had beer delivered up to my office. Okay. Let me try and be serious. I'm going to do my best. There is a lot today. Uh, Now, I thought I had a lot before the things of the last 24 hours. So I think I'll actually start with some of the things that happened before that, and then we will burn time, by which time the beer would have arrived as well. 
And we'll see how it goes. Lars is here. Lars wants beer. Uh, you're in lockdown, mate. You don't get beer. That's that's the way it works. Uh, we're, we're not, so we get beer. I get people bring me beer. Shiny Dog Coach remembers to close that door. Um, which door? There's, there's multiple doors here. Anyway, we'll come back to it. What you can't actually see quite clearly, I'm just looking at the video myself, but in my, my background, there are light switches. I was really hard doing this on the screen. Light switches just above the two fingers there, which have had the plasterboard cut out around them because they're about to be replaced. That whole back wall is about to be redone with some cool wallpaper. These shelves will go. There'll be a nice, cool other shelf there. The gaps with the curtains and the light will go. Like everything is getting very close to being awesome in this room. Uh, I have also just ordered new monitor mounts. So what's going to happen is this big sucker in front of me. And if you've not seen the sort of pictures before, what my office looks like I've got two wide screens just here, and then an ultra wide screen in the middle. And this one's going to get mounted onto the wall, which will be really cool. So I've got a an, an, um, an Ergotron bracket coming for that. Which is cool too, because the absolute cheapest one is like a $30 bracket, <laughs> which allows you to hang it on the wall. And then the camera will go on to, I ordered an Elgato wall mount, so that'll get wall mounted to the wall. So when I bump the desk like this, see how the camera wobbles? Won't happen anymore. And then the two wides on the side also got uh, Ergotron wall mounts for those. So everything's going to get wall mounted, and I'm going to have to get someone to come and fit some timber into the wall so it's got nice solid mounts. But it'll be great because everything will get up off the desk. It'll move back. We'll have more room. It'll be awesome. I'll send pictures. So that's good. Um, Lars is not in lockdown. Shouldn't you be in lockdown though? Isn't all of Victoria kind of locked down to some extent or another? Uh, for folks outside of Australia, it is a very, very big place here. Victoria, our southern, one of our southern states, not having such a good time at the moment, which is where Lars is, which is a shame because I really want to come and visit Lars <laughs> and actually uh, actually come and see him. Maybe we'll get to do that over Christmas. That's, that is my hope. We'll see. Now, on uh, topical things, the first thing I had on my list here, actually, is have I been pwned hitting 4 million subscribers, which I'm really, really super stoked about. And now this is, again, like a totally free service. You go and put your email address in there, and then when I find you in a breach, I'll let you know. And I guess what's interesting is that as the number of subscribers grows, obviously I send uh, more and more notifications when people are in a data breach. Uh, I mean, a good example of this is the Thingiverse breach, which we're going to talk about later on. There are 200, uh, well, it was about 250,000 people in there, roughly. I sent more than 10,000 emails, which is interesting because that's about 4%. Uh, which is a really, really high hit rate. Normally I see like a sub 1%, 1%-ish mark. But, you know, obviously 4%, if uh, if I get to 8 million, then it's probably going to be twice as many emails I send on an incident like that, which is cool because someone's got to let Thingiverse people know that they've had a data breach, given that no one else seems to be doing it, but we'll come back to that. So I'm very, very happy about that number. Look, it's we all get a bit infatuated with big round numbers. It's a clean million. It's like, that's awesome. Um, hello, is that my beer? Yes. I'm off the lars too. <laughs> lars doesn't get... <laughs> Can you drink Lars's? Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Cheers. Uh, oh, by the way, it says this, this is expert beer. Expert beer. Yeah, eight point five percent. Oh jeez. <laughs> it's called beer. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. If you didn't hear that because it was out of frame, she said this is expert beer because it's eight point five percent. 
Hey, Lars, I think Charlotte's drinking your beer, mate. <laughs> oh, there goes not drinking this Friday. Uh, all right, where were we? Moving on. <laughs> One mouthful, I've forgotten where I was up to. So we had uh, 4 million, past the 4 million mark on Have I Been Pwned, which is, uh, which is super cool. The next one's going to be 5 million. On Have I Been Pwned and numbers as well, I, I tweeted before it. I hadn't actually looked at this since we hit this number, but early September, I passed 1 billion queries a month for Pwned passwords. I looked today, it's up to 1.15, which is great. So it's grown 15% in six weeks, which is super, super awesome. Uh, the busiest day or the last, actually, I think just the last, uh, roughly the last day, was, I think, 49.11 million requests to the API in a day, which was just epic. So it was really, really cool. Uh, Ilya, cheers. Thank you. Thank you for that suggestion. It was an excellent suggestion. Oshash just sent me a, a, a photo of the beer. This was a Wolf of the Willows, steep and deep. <laughs> it's just... Uh, West Coast double IPA, 8.5%. Uh, oh, that's a really, really cool can as well. I wonder if I can um, I wonder if I can copy the image link and put it in the chat here so everyone can see. Oh, wow. I think I can, Ex- except it's a link to a Facebook URL, which is 245 characters out of the allowable 200 characters in the Twitter, the Twitter, in the Facebook... Uh, in the YouTube, jeez, big week of social media. Uh, in the YouTube window, honestly, I've had two mouthfuls of alcohol today. That is all. Anyway, Google, Wolf of the Willows, Steep and Deep, West Coast, double IPA. Okay, right, so where were we? Uh, stats on Have I Been Pwned. So that's cool. Those numbers are, are going up and to the right, as they say. Now, here's something completely different. Kids and devices and social media. And I'll give you some background on this. So, Graham Cluley, top-notch journo over there in the UK, cyber journo, published uh, a story the other day. Uh, actually, he linked to the story. Did he write the story? I don't think he wrote the story. No, so he linked to the story. And the the quote that he's taken from the story. So the, the, the title of the story here is uh, she opens the app and gets bombarded parents on Instagram, teens and eating disorders. And it, it's sort of an interesting article which talks about uh, someone with a couple of teen daughters. Now they don't say what age and I would argue that there's a very big difference at both ends of the teen spectrum. But these teens are seeing a lot of imagery which has led to eating disorders now i think we can all sort of imagine what that's going to be it's probably uh, body imagery stuff which of course there's a lot of stuff out there on instagram about this people have made entire careers literally posting photos of their body to instagram and you know look if if that's their thing good good on them they've done well with that but the risk we have is people looking at that and then developing their own disorders such as i assume some form of anorexia or something similar in this case so it's, it's an interesting story and it, it sort of speaks to the concerns we have with letting kids in particular, but I guess to some extent all of us, letting them have a lot of access to social media and absorb information and perhaps form some conclusions about the world which may not be realistic. And I thought that was super interesting, particularly as I've got uh, my son Ari, he's just turned 12, uh, he is getting more and more access to machines. Uh, next year, he will be of an age where he'll pass all the copper laws and he'll be able to go and get social media accounts. 
I have adamantly said he shouldn't have them at the moment. Incidentally, one of the reasons I've said he shouldn't have them, and I've spoken to him about this myself, I have a very good friend, someone that Lars knows very well also, who has a couple of uh, daughters who are now, one of them is an adult, one of them is almost an adult, very, very smart girls. Lars knows exactly who I mean as soon as I say that. And what was interesting is, is the one who is now an adult and sort of carving out her own career, she created a Twitter account when she was less than 13. So she was a child. She, she would have had to lie about her age or you know, cheat on the copper thing, whatever it may be. Anyway, she got the account and she used it in a very responsible way for many, many, many years. And one day... As she came of age, so to speak, she put her correct age in and they nuked her entire account because they said, look, you basically lied. And I'm, I'm sort of saying to Ari, mate, the, one of the risks you've got is you could become dependent on this account and then it gets yoinked out from under you. Let's just give it another year and you'll be fine. Now, I'm going to talk more about that, but I just want to look at some of the comments. Incidentally, the reason it looks so disheveled is that it is now 26 degrees here on the Gold Coast. It's super, super humid today, and I've been in the swimming pool. <laughs> so I just got out and went, ah, oh, screw it. I'll just go and do the video. Oh. Patrick says, how do I convince a Luddite family member who is currently using a physical notebook to write down their simple passwords to use an actual password manager? I really love this discussion. Patrick, because I would argue that a Luddite family member is possibly doing the best possible thing for them. Now, I've got a blog post called Password Managers Don't Need to Be Perfect. Uh, and I'm going to go and pull this. And I'm going to drop it into the chat just here because I think it's super relevant. And, and what I'm actually saying here is, Look, to be honest, a lot of this is about when people find various flaws with password managers, using a little bit of perspective in terms of, is this a reason not to use it at all? Or is it just one of the inherent risks we have because it's software? But part of the discussion here is that using a book is a very, very good step forward over using the same password everywhere and keeping it in your memory. So if you do have a Luddite family member Having that Luddite family member write down unique passwords, they could be passphrases in the book, and there are literally password books you can get, like you write the name of the website, and then you write the password you use, and maybe it's a passphrase where you look around the room and you pick four random words and you join them together. No more credential stuffing attacks, that goes away, because you're not reusing the password anywhere. The likelihood of it being brute forced is extremely rare. What's the risk? The risk is someone gets your book. To get the book, they need physical access. If they have physical access to your house, they want your bloody computer, <laughs> you know, like not your book. And if they do get your book, you know that they've got your book. And then you can go and start doing password resets. You can't change your password by logging in because you've lost your book. That's how you get in. But you can initiate password resets, assuming you still have access to the email address. Now, look, I want to actually finish on the kid thing because I think this is very interesting. So, Graham's tweet here. She opened the app and gets bombarded. And I sort of quote tweeted this, and I, I said to people here, uh, I'm curious, for folks with teenage kids, how much autonomy do they have with devices and social media? None. Supervised use, free reign. It obviously differs by age. Let's scope this as young teens. Say they're 13 to 14. Just interested to hear how other people approach this problem. And I guess what's interesting here is there's a whole range of different views as to if and when kids should have mobile devices at all, uh, what time of day, what they should be able to do. 
And I kind of like, I think I sat on it for uh, uh, most of the day and I let the comments come through. And then I went, all right, so here's my, uh, here's my own views on this thing. Now, firstly, it's really personal. Uh, my approach is going to be different to other people's approaches. It doesn't mean that I'm wrong or they're wrong or anything like that. It just means that we have different views on this. Um, I think it is very age dependent. So when they say teens, you know, like if you think back far enough, (laughs) think back to when I was 13, the level of maturity I had when I was 13 versus the level of maturity I had when I was 19 are fundamentally different. All right, I don't know that I was real mature at either end of that spectrum, but at one end, I was an adult going to university with a part-time job. At the other end, I was very, very dependent on my parents for everything. So a big difference there. Big difference in kids as well. My son, Ari, and, and Lars will attest to this, is a, he's a very mature kid. And I feel much more comfortable giving him things now than what I would uh, a kid that didn't show that same level of maturity. One of the reasons we want to go to Lars's place is Lars has got cars on a farm, and I want Ari at 12 to be able to drive Lars's old cars, <laughs> old cars, around the farm. And I know that Lars himself has cop shit from people before who've seen his young kids driving cars around the farm, and they're like, hey, you shouldn't let kids drive. No, you should, like, at the right level of maturity. So I didn't mean to just always bring this back to Lars. But in terms of things like access to devices and internet and everything else, there is a big difference between kids. Now, for Ari, I see a combination of digital and parental controls. So the digital ones are kind of the easy ones. If we take something like an iPhone, and both kids get hand-me-down iPhones and hand-me-down iPads, Uh, our daughter as of next year, has to have an iPad for school. So she just got a hand-me-down iPad from Charlotte. It's a nice one, but it's a hand-me-down. We use Apple's family controls. They are in our family. They are children. As children, they are limited with what they can do. We can set screen time controls in terms of the amount of time they can spend on the device. Also, the apps that they can use either all the time or within those limits. We can set controls on what they purchase. There's a lot you can do natively with your Apple devices, also with your Windows devices. So Ari has a Windows PC. He is in our family. He cannot install software. We can see screen time usage. So there's a lot of stuff you can do here natively. Now, these are digital controls, and they are good, and you should use them. They can be circumvented. And in this tweet thread, I've got this tweet here where Ari, bless him, I tweeted this, uh, this was two and a half years ago, so he's nine at the time, same age as as our daughter now. He's nine at the time. (laughs) I just read the tweet. I'm a responsible parent, so I use the controls on iOS to limit screen time on the old iPhone my nine-year-old uses. A whitelisted exception is iMessage. He's worked out he can send someone a YouTube vid, then watch it in iMessage to circumvent the control. So proud. So he's managed to circumvent the control. And I was proud. I, like, I wasn't angry. I was like, that's, that's pretty clever. Show me how you do that. <laughs> it's like, how did you... And the reason I figured it out is it's like, I've literally set screen time controls on his iPhone so he should only be able to watch like up to a total of, say, one hour of YouTube in a day. Like, why is he still on YouTube? And anyway, that's how it was. Parental controls. Being able 
to walk past the kids and see what they're doing. And, and interestingly, this is something that's come from both their schools too. Uh, and I actually think a lot of what's come from their schools has actually been pretty good. There's a bunch of it which which doesn't really understand how things work. I, I noticed that uh, particularly at his school where they need to have a PC, there's a fundamental misunderstanding about doing things like giving kids access rights. I helped a parent recently who was logging, <laughs> logging, I can't do it without laughing, logging onto the PC using his mother's uh, Microsoft account which then had access to all of her email and things like that. Interestingly, just today, our daughter's school sent advice about the iPad that she will need for next year. And they did talk about parental controls uh, with Apple, which is great. But both the schools do talk about not leaving kids unsupervised. So I'll say to them, look, if you want to use your phone to play a game or something like that, and of course, modern mobile device, you're just a couple of taps away from being on social media. Like, come downstairs, like sit on the couch, you know, and we'll be in the kitchen cooking dinner or something like that, and you'll be on the couch, and we'll be wandering past, we'll be talking about the things you see. They both have desks and decent chairs and external monitors and keyboards and mouse and everything in their rooms because I want them to work ergonomically. So I do want them to actually work in their room, particularly for Ari with his homework. Mate, leave the door open. Like, I'm going to wander in and out, and also when you're here, it's like you're doing your homework. If you want to play Minecraft or something, Ask us, and then you know you play Minecraft, and we'll still wander in and out. So I think the parental control in the soft skill form is great. Now, all of that said, as well, like they're gonna get exposed to things now, whether it's uh, Instagram stuff around uh, imagery which leads to eating disorders, or whether it's porn or gore or whatever else. Like they're gonna see all of this stuff, and. I just think that that is something that we, we, we kind of need to live with and accept and guide them through as opposed to try and block the stuff out because they'll get access to it one way or another. And if it's not here with us, it's going to be at one of their mates' places when they go and visit over there. So I show the kids, I don't show the kids that stuff, <laughs> not, not deliberately, but I show them a lot around things like, I'll show them some of the abuse I get online. I get some, some zingers, some crazy stuff, but I can deal with it. I'm an adult. Uh, but I'll show it to them so that they see what sort of stuff happens. I've started showing Ari things like data breaches. He wants to work with me when he grows up, <laughs> which I would really love. So I'll show him, uh, this is what a Thingiverse data breach looks like. For example, I'll come back to Thingiverse. I just think it's really interesting for them to see that, particularly the data breach stuff, because it's like, mate, everything that you put into a system, somebody might take one day. So if you put, it could be anything from personal messages, through to photos, through to videos. Somebody could take that one day and use it in a way that you weren't expecting. So that's my view of it. Hard controls with soft controls and lots of parental, parental, I would rather say parental engagement than parental supervision. All right, let's look at the comments. Uh, some comments about beer. Shiny Doc loves being able to watch this live. Thank you for being here. That's good. <laughs> Strata says beer's gone straight to my head. No, not yet. I just had to uh, reacclimatize. Speaking of beer, John is here from uh, from Belgium. We have had many beers in Belgium before, haven't we, mate? Oh, was, feels like a long time ago. Uh, what else is in here? Martin's talking about if the, if those passwords are different in this little notebook, that's not too bad. Here, which goes back to the idea of having the notebook, different passwords in the notebook. Job done. That is a large part of the problem. And just think about it, if you do have unique passwords, 
even if they're not great unique passwords, credential stuffing goes away because you no longer have one data breach where passwords are weakly protected, for example, in Thingiverse, <laughs> and, and then they get cracked and then you're in a dictionary somewhere and that dictionary is being used to log on to all your other things. So there's that. That, that helps. Uh, what else got here in the comments? Uh -huh. James, I drove a car on a farm, tractor two, at 12, worth doing. Hmm. I'm sure I drove a tractor on my grandparents' farm when I was somewhere around there. Uh, but, I mean, isn't it interesting? It's like the, depending on your social norms of where you are, uh, you do get access to things much earlier. You know, you scroll back, I'm sure that you know, my parents were like riding their horse to school when they were Ari's age. Actually, I know my mum definitely was riding a horse to school in the 50s, when she was 50, maybe 60s when she was Ari's age. Um, Brendan, hi, just off the phone with my dad. What did I miss? All the best bits. You can watch it back later, <laughs> which is fine. Stratus, tech savvy like his father, Ari. It, it is really, really cool for those of you with kids. I'm sure you, this resonates where you see your kids growing up and like just getting good at stuff. Um, <laughs> for his birthday, we went to laser tag the other day and there was him uh, and myself and a couple of other kids. We were just going out for dinner with some neighborhood kids uh, and I always thought I was pretty good at laser tag and I got absolutely nailed. Like we came out of there and there were just the four of us. He had like 10,000 points. I had 5,000 <laughs> and then the other kids were like 2,000, 1,000. Just like, what the hell have I created? <sighs> I can still beat him in tennis <clears throat> for now, for now. More password stuff here. I think we're done on passwords. Um, Stefan's here. <laughs> Okay, we're not done on passwords. Because remember, Stefan is actually helping us with all the pwn password stuff for the FBI. So he's doing a great job of that. Um, password books are fine for very non-tech <coughs> tech savvy people. Totally agree with that. Nick007 says, showing kids how to be safe online is like teaching about the birds and bees. Being safe is what is most important because you pretty much can't stop it happening. Funny you should mention that. So he came home, must have been Friday last week. And he said, um, so we had sex education day at school. I'm like, wow, all right. I Like, I remember. <laughs> so I would have been his age in, I guess, the late 80s. And if we had sex education at school, like, we would have had to get permission from our parents, you know, and they would have had to fill the thing out. It's like, yes, I give permission to talk about, you know, what, what really is just like the fundamentals of life. Let's not over-sensationalize it. But it was like close parental involvement. He just came home. It's like, yeah, we learned about sex day. And I had this moment where it's like, well, they're already on the internet. <laughs> like they've probably covered a lot of this already. So it's just very organically through their browsing habits. So maybe it's not just such a big deal anymore. Burton, will Al be treated differently to Ari on social media accounts given the bad influence on girls? It, it, it's a really interesting question, Burton. So the, the kids are very different. And again, I think we come back to it being a very personal thing. Ari is a very mature, gentle kid. L is <laughs> very different. I have to keep saying to L, please play nice with Ari's friends and don't hurt them. Uh, and and that's, that's the truth. And I know Lars will, I don't know if Lars is still here, but Lars will back me up on this. Um, she is that kind of kid, which... I don't know, maybe that's good for a girl to be extra strong and assertive. Um, 
but I, I'll honestly have to wait and see. She's be, certainly becoming more conscious of appearance and things. I, I think so far in a pretty healthy way. I think certainly Charlotte gives her some really <laughs> good influence there in terms of the focusing on the right things. But we'll have to see, mate, when she gets to that age. That's, uh, I'm kind of curious about that myself. Moving on. Broadlink. Now, last week, I don't have the remote control here anymore, but I, I spoke about having problems with my curtains where they've got motors in them for the IoT. And the hub that connects to the Wi-Fi network was absolutely terrible. But the remote control, which works over some proprietary RF, was very good. And a bunch of people said, what you should do is you should go and get a Broadlink. I'm going to unplug it. It's going to beep now. A Broadlink universal remote control and this does both ir and rf now multiple different people reached out and said get this this so far is a heap of shit let me explain <laughs> i have a, a tweet thread going on it that like the promise was so good in the tweet thread i just show it's it's, it's basically impossible to pair the app like i'm trying to pair it to the app on my phone and we're in like this really really weird cycle where it says, okay, if you'd like to pair the device, you know, first time you power it on, the light will blink multiple times. You can factory reset it. You put a paper clip in the back just to restart the whole process. You go through, it broadcasts its own AP. Now think about also how messy this is as a technical experience. Just that the, the amount of sticky tape involved in this. This broadcasts an AP. So you've opened up the Broadlink app on here. You need to connect to this as though it's an access point. I'm holding the Broadlink in my hand for those listening to this later on. It will then connect to this. You can then enter the Wi-Fi credentials of the network. The Broadlink will then try and connect to the Wi-Fi network and stop broadcasting its own SSID, which means that the phone is now disconnected. And now the app is hoping that the phone can then find the Broadlink on the network and that they can talk to each other, except the phone wasn't seeing it. And then the phone app kept saying, we can't connect to the Broadlink anymore. Is it still broadcasting its own SSID? Which, of course, it's not because it stopped that because it's trying to join them. And then it would say, basically, like, please try and connect back to the Broadlink, but it's not broadcasting. And I'm just, like, in this really, really crazy loop that I can't get out of. So I give up <laughs> and just download the Broadlink uh, integration for Home Assistant because I had actually got this on the network and in my Ubiquity dashboard I could see that Broadlink was connected. So I download the Home Assistant app which is great and it can see the Broadlink which is great and then there's a script where you can then start listening to RF signals to effectively learn what the RF frequency pattern whatever it is I don't know, I don't even know just point the remote at it or don't point it at it because RF. <laughs> um, it can start listening to that and then learning and then replay that as, I assume, an entity on the device later on. But unfortunately, this could never see the RF from the remote. So I wondered if it was just the remote, if it does some sort of funky cryptographic thing or whatever that this can't pick up. So I tried another remote, which I'm holding in my hand now, which is a remote for the alarm system at home. I couldn't pick that up either. But hey, that's an alarm system. It might be security in another way so that it can't be sniffed and repeated. <laughs> so, so far, this was a pain in the ass to connect and I never got the client app working and now it can't seem to pick up any RF whatsoever. I have to try and find another RF device, maybe something really simple where it's not going to have layers of security 
just to figure out whether I'm doing it right with this so that eventually I can open and close my curtains because the hub that it comes with is a piece of garbage. Any questions? Are the other comments in here? Johnson's been too long. <laughs> Damn, I feel like drinking beer now. It's only 10 a.m. Uh, and he's in Belgium and all the beers there are very good. So long as you uh, drink it from the right glass, otherwise Belgian people get very upset very, very quickly. I kind of make a habit of it now. <laughs> it's like I'll open a Duval or something like that, a Duval, a Duval, and deliberately put it in a glass that I know is going to piss off Belgians and tweet it. doesn't take long. doesn't take long. Thingiverse. Let's go on to Thingiverse. Ah, boy, oh boy. I use Thingiverse a lot, or I have this year. So Thingiverse has a lot of 3D models on it. And Thingiverse, I have always felt, was very, very cool, albeit somewhat dated. Uh, and if you go to thingiverse.com, T-H-I-N-G-I-V-E-R-S-E.com, or just read any of my recent tweets, you'll see all these really, really cool 3D models. And you can download them for free from the internet and then put them into your favorite slicing software and then send them to your 3D printer and create a physical manifestation of something that you just digitally download. And I still find that really, really cool. Even, what are we now, like... Uh, I, I guess, eight months into my 3D printing experience. <laughs> so Thingiverse has been great for that. Thingiverse is owned by a company called MakerBot, and MakerBot makes a whole bunch of 3D printing stuff. MakerBot is owned by a company whose name escapes me, but they are publicly listed, which does make it a little bit interesting. It starts with an S. What is his name? Because once you're publicly listed, you do have a whole bunch of responsibilities. MakerBot. What if I go to Wikipedia? That'll tell me. Wikipedia, MakerBot. Mm -hmm. Parent. Stratasys. So Stratasys is a NASDAQ-listed company. What are they worth? Oh, they've got revenue of 668 million USD. That was in 2017. Operating income, 30 million. Uh, 2,266 employees. Interesting. Not a massive company, but big enough. You kind of go, look, if, if you've got hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue, you could, you could probably get a few things right. Maybe not with Thingiverse, but you get some things right. So someone reaches out to me. I think it was Friday last week, because it was Saturday that I tried contacting Thingiverse. So I reached out on Friday. Uh, in fact, I can tell you who it is, because I put that in the uh, notice on Have I Been Pwned, because I asked for it. It's a company called Dehashed, uh, and Dehashed runs some cyber services related to data breaches. They have sent me a lot of data in the past. I speak to people there. They seem like very nice people. Certainly, they send me very, very valid data. Uh, for the sole purpose of helping people understand their exposure and data breaches. So they send me this, and I do my usual verification thing, which which usually amounts to taking some mail-and-ADA addresses, checking the password reset, do they get passwords? Yes, okay, almost certainly going to be legit. I can't find anything on the public domain about a Thingiverse data breach. So I go to Thingiverse, and I find the Contact Us form, and I fill it out, and I submit it. 
And then just to double down, I go to Twitter, to Thingiverse, and they have DMs open. So I send them a DM. This is Saturday morning my time. Nothing. Like nothing comes back. It's just crickets. During that time, I look at a popular hacking forum that, that I, I don't mention by name just because I, I frankly don't want to encourage more redistribution of, of data. But anyway, I go to this forum and Thingiverse is on there. So people are exchanging it and everyone's going, yeah, you know, high five. Thank you very much for posting this. Uh, so obviously a lot of people now have it. And we get through like three days later and I haven't heard anything. So I tweet <laughs> publicly. Does anyone have a security contact at Thingiverse? Now, when I tweet that, people do draw conclusions <laughs> very, very quickly. And uh, not too much later, after that, someone from MakerBot contacts me. And this is private communication, so I'm not going to relay what was in there or even the role of the person other than to say that the title didn't give me a lot of confidence that this was going to be handled in the way that I would like. Leave it there. Uh, and I go, okay, you know, look, you've allegedly had a data breach. Here is the link to the forum talking about it. Uh, and there is data available for download there. And there are samples as well on that forum. You know, you really should have a look at it. And basically, we went backwards and forwards with me going, okay, so when are you going to issue your disclosure notice? When are you going to let people know? And I got a very, very non-response response. Uh, and in fact, if I do open up my Thingiverse thread, I can tell you exactly what it said. Because I do think that this is particularly relevant to the story. Uh, uh -huh. Back here. This began with me sending them data last week, three days. I send them the email. I believe it's highly likely the breach is legitimate. Early Wednesday, they said they're looking into this. A couple of hours later, I asked for a disclosure notice so I can point impacted HIBP subscribers to it. No reply. So 24 hours later, I advise I'm notifying my subscribers in the coming hours. How about that disclosure? Now, their quotes were, we're taking this matter very seriously. You just, uh, you know, as soon as they say we take security seriously, it's like it's going to go downhill from here. <laughs> we are taking this matter very seriously. And they expected to issue a notice, exact words here, in due course. Not today, not at five o'clock, not by close of business, in due course. So I'm now like six days in and I'm like, well, what am I going to do? Now, I also got a DM from someone. This is all in my public tweet thread. DM from someone who says that they've got a backup file exposed. And I didn't ask them for details. I don't, I don't need to know that information. But it was someone who I have a high degree of confidence in, in terms of they have a proven track record. We'll just leave that there. Uh, and then later on, they said uh, the bucket is set to private now. So clearly they realized that they had exposed data and then they locked it down. Now, as I said here, that the frustration is simply this. I've now got 4 million plus HOBP subscribers. I made a commitment to notify if I find their data circling. If I don't tell them, I let them down. If I tell them too early, I put the impacted company in an awkward position. Now, it's a little bit hard to sort of get the emotional nuance across in a tweet, but 
because a few people are like, well, it's on a public hacking forum anyway. Just load it. It's public. I get to still run this service almost eight years later because I'm super, super careful about this stuff. There is so much data. I could just go YOLO and just publish it. Like probably billions of records in total now. And it would get a lot of press and a lot of traction and I'd probably get some nice donations and things as well. But I might also get sued, (laughs) which I don't want because if that happens, it really, really severely limits my ability to continue running the service. So I have to continually like walk this tightrope of how do I push hard enough to get a company to do something, but not so hard that they do something I really don't want them to do. And it just got to the point with Thingiverse where the data was so public and I try so hard. It's like, okay, you've, you've basically crossed my threshold of I will wait and link to your disclosure statement uh, and I'm just going to go ahead. Now, part of the problem is they had things like SHA-1 hashes without a salt, which is we, we are judging people today by the decisions made a very long time ago. Apparently, it was about 2016 they started rolling to Bcrypt. Look, even 2016 was 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 late, but I mean LinkedIn. The LinkedIn data breach was uh, was 2012. The data surfaced in 2016. That was SHA one as well. So, yeah. but the point is that when you get a whole bunch of SHA one hashes there without assault, even SHA one hashes with assault, they're going to get cracked super super fast. So that's that's not great. 228,000 is the correct number of real email addresses. I said I thought it was about a quarter million. I it just a little bit. Now, here's something that was very interesting, and this has sort of come up in a lot of discussion since. When I first looked at the data, so there's a there's a, a file there, I think it was somewhere in the order of 36 gigabytes. And what I'll normally do is I'll, I've got a little, uh, little program I wrote. It's effectively boils down to a regex, point it at the, the file. It goes through and extracts all the email addresses. My initial gut reaction was, I think, something like 2.8 million accounts. And then I actually started loading the data into Have I Been Pwned. And I, I did the check of how many accounts were already in there. And it came back and it said, like, oh, there's 8% of accounts that are already in Have I Been Pwned. And I'm used to seeing a number that's normally about 10 times higher than that. So I went, all right, something's odd. And then I looked closer at the email addresses and a whole bunch of these email addresses were webdev plus a username at makerbot.com. So I had to kind of figure out what's going on here. And when I looked at the data, what I saw was that username part looked like legitimate usernames. The other data next to it which included things like either a SHA-1 or a Bcrypt hash, also looked legitimate. Uh, a few other data attributes there and things like creation dates of, of an account also looked legitimate. Now, what I subsequently learned from information provided to me by the community is it looks like MakerBot has taken a whole bunch of production data, exported it to a staging environment, tried to de-identify a bunch of email addresses and done so in a way where they're still identifiable but they're not the original email address. And then incidentally, the reason for the comment about staging is there are literally statements right at the beginning of this SQL file. Remember, this SQL file is probably in the hands of hundreds if not thousands of people now. So staging references throughout the beginning of it. Uh, in fact, I've got this file right here. What does it say towards the... Oh, no. I'd closed it because I was reading, rebooting my computer to try and make um, 
at work. Here you go, recent history. So within this MySQL dump, current database, thingiverse underscore staging. Create database, thingiverse underscore staging. So, you know, there you go. That's uh, kind of speaks for itself. So it does support that claim that this was data that was exported from production to staging. How many times have we seen this? Like live data taken into a non-production environment. I wrote a blog post Oh, geez, it must be a decade ago, about how to generate test data with a SQL data generator from Redgate. Don't, don't take your production data. So what, what seems to be interesting here, and in the, in the relevancy of this, is that Thingiverse, uh, I'm just going to say it directly, they are drastically misrepresenting the significance of this breach. In part, it seems by not acknowledging that all of these accounts here that are web dev plus username, and remember someone's username is for all intents and purposes personally identifiable because so many people have unique email addresses that either align with the alias of their email address or they've used in all these other places, many of which have been breached and now sit alongside their actual email address and their phone number and everything else. So when you expose someone's username, the assumption is, is that you're exposing their personal information. So... This is enormously relevant. The highest ID in the user table is about 2.8 million. So that is much closer to the true impact of this than the 228,000 unique actual email addresses that I put in Have I Been Pwned. And then the rest of this thread is basically me just quote tweeting things that other people have said. Uh, so for example, Thingiverse say there are less than 500 people. In fact, I'll quote exactly. Two tweets from Thingiverse. Number one, 11 hours ago, we are aware of and have addressed an internal error that led to the exposure of some non-sensitive user data on Thingiverse. We should have noticed to the affected users and encourage you to update the password of your Thingiverse account. We apologize for this inconvenience. Does beg the question about non-sensitive. Now there are strict definitions for what sensitive data is. Medical records are sensitive data. Sexuality, political affiliations, religion are sensitive data. Is your password a sensitive data? Is your password is your password sensitive data? I th it depends on the definition you want to use. The pub test. So the pub test is if you went down to the pub and said to someone, "Is your password sensitive?" That's say yes. So the pub test says yes, it is. Not least of which because, <laughs> remember, that password for most people in that breach unlocks all sorts of other things. Another tweet, a couple of hours later, nine hours ago at the time of recording. For clarification, the exposure affected a handful, less than 500, of real user data. The non-production, non-sensitive data included encrypted passwords, random salted, with mostly testing data, the affected users have been notified. Again, some candid feedback on this. Uh, bullshit. Uh, bullshit on multiple points. Uh, bullshit on encryption. They're not encrypted, they're hashed. They are either hashed as unsalted SHA-1 or they're hashed as bcrypt. Unsalted SHA-1 is very, 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 very easy to crack very, very quickly. Bcrypt is still crackable depending on the strength of the password and how much time and how much energy people want to invest on in it. That's bullshit one. Bullshit two is less than 500. Now, here's how I know that's bullshit. I sent 10,646 emails to individuals 
who are, have I been paying subscribers, they're within that 4 million list that are in Thingiverse. I also sent a further 1,028 emails to subscribers monitoring domains. This is people that have demonstrated they control the domain and then there are emails in this breach that have aliases on that domain. So all said and done, I've sent round numbers 12,000 emails and I have not had a single reply from anyone saying, I didn't actually have a Thingiverse account. And trust me, I get replies very, very quickly if people don't know why they're in a data breach. The Epic data breach recently, perfect example, they scraped a bunch of who is records. So people like me were in the Epic data breach without ever knowing what Epic was. Conversely, I've had many, many people contact me and say, yes, I was a Thingiverse user. I am a Thingiverse user. I've got an account there. I got a notification from Have I Been Pwned. I have not had a notification from Thingiverse. This does not add up. So clearly there are a bunch of people with Thingiverse accounts who have not been notified. I've also embedded a tweet here from someone, Alex, Nick's Geek. Pulling my password out of 1Password and using bcryptgenerator.com to compare against the hash in Thingiverse's dump, I was at risk. What he's done here is he's used... Uh, a site which allows you to take a bcrypt hash and a password and then check whether that password generated the hash because what it does it takes a password it takes the salt out of the hash adds it to the password hashes it does it match now because alex is a smart guy he has got a one password generated password which i'll just read you the start of it and you tell me how how uh, how strong this sounds t uppercase u o open bracket k Capital C, 8, comma, F, 8, capital A, N, capital J, G, capital U, B. Like this is not, this is not like monkey, <laughs> you know, one of the really, really common passwords. So this is a genuinely strong password and he's obfuscated just the end of it here. So what's happened here is he has been able to confirm that the password that he used on the site, this strong one password generated password, is the one used to generate the hash the bcrypt hash in the Thingiverse data breach, which is a very, very strong indicator that his password was exposed. Anyway, I go on. I started quote tweeting a bunch of people who were like, yeah, I got the have a been pwned notification, but I still haven't heard from Thingiverse. And I was thinking maybe we could get to like almost 500, and then I realized that would be a lot of work. So I didn't want to do that. And eventually the, the last tweet in this thread at the moment is just like the Iraqi information minister uh, yeah, denying the breach, which is part of my blog post that has aged exceptionally well, the five stages of data breach. Grief. I remember where I was when I wrote this. I was in Amsterdam. This was from July 2017, where the AA in the UK, their automobile association, had a breach that exposed credit cards and they were denying it. <laughs> and I sort of went... Um, there's like the whole Kubler-Ross uh, dealing with grief, five stages. It's like, firstly, there is denial. This is where Thingiverse are now. And then there'll be anger. This might be what I see when I wake up tomorrow morning. We'll see. And then there's bargaining. And then there's depression. And then there's acceptance. They will go through these phases and they will have to acknowledge that it wasn't less than 500. And it wasn't non-sensitive data. It was freaking passwords. It is much worse than this allegedly this is the only time i'm going to use allegedly on this because i haven't verified this myself people have provided me some information related to some of the keys which could be 
really, really bad. But this, I'm not sure whether they have published this information publicly yet. But it could be a lot worse than what it appears on the surface. I think we will have to wait and see how this one plays out. All right, looking at the comments. Um, <laughs> Stefan says, it's amazing how far actually talking to your kids goes. I know, right? It's like, so cool that we invented that too. It's really good. John still wants beer. <laughs> Every time I look at it. Um, what was in here? Uh, Stuart is saying, does it pick up IR? Inevitably talking about the Broadlink here. I haven't tried IR. I think that's a really good test, actually, because IR is the one thing it should really reliably be able to pick up. Uh, and obviously, I, like everybody else, have a heap of IR remotes around the house, so I can go and check one of those. Good point, mate. I'm going to do that tomorrow. Um, Stefan says, you put a string on those curtains. I, I think, Stefan, you are talking about a fallback position for when the digital thing doesn't work. Fortunately, I can just like grab it, and if I pull it, the motor senses it, and then the motor opens it the rest of the way. So we do have like a manual fallback position, which is good. Um, John is happy with my pronunciation. I assume that that was the uh, the the duvel. Uh, there you go. About that, Chris in South Brisbane. I use a Palo Alto firewall at home. Poor kids don't have a chance. Like this is the thing I can. I can pie hole a lot of stuff. I can do a lot of stuff at the ubiquity level as well. Uh, I would like to start talking to Ari in particular about how to get around all that. <laughs> it's like if, if you VPN through that, short of me blocking VPNs, or maybe just blocking it for that Mac address, except then he could randomize that because of what Apple devices do now. Uh, you, you start to sort of go down the, you know, the, one-upmanship of, of how you try and solve this problem and I, I think again like the talking to the kids is probably much more important john we take your security seriously Stuart, i mean surely it takes a few hours tops to craft something that says they've been breached and they're investigating as long as uh as long as updates follow it's not hard is it i don't know precisely what is happening inside thingiverse hq which seems to be MakerBot HQ. But let me speculate. For MakerBot people watching this later on, this is speculation. But it is speculation based on what I've seen many, many times. I can't remember if it was my weekly update last week or the week before, but I mentioned someone who I know very well who's been involved in, uh, let's just say discussions with a company that has had a data breach, was explaining to me about the way lawyers were handling things. When lawyers get involved, the, the world turns upside down. So the things that you're probably a technical person watching this and myself would think to be the most sensible possible things somehow become the worst things you could do. And I'll give you an example. I'm going to try and be as general as I can so I don't disclose something I shouldn't have. But in this particular case, an organization after a bad incident implemented a very sensible control that may bite them in the ass during legal proceedings because it is acknowledgement that there was a very simple control that they could have implemented beforehand. So from a purely protecting your backside perspective, doing the right thing after the incident might not bode very well for this particular organization. Now, I've had other data breaches I've dealt with in the past where I've had very, very close friends just by coincidence inside the organization and they've told me precisely what's going on. And they're like, 
it's a bunch of people in suits arguing, trying to find a way to minimize damage. Now, again, I'm speculating about MakerBot, but that is often the way. What I will say is I have not spoken to technical people there, and I don't have much confidence that they actually understand the true scope of this. And I also know that it is very likely there are people at, I'm not sure if Thingiverse still stands as a separate entity, or certainly people within MakerBot, there will be people in there watching this, tearing their hair out with frustration. And I don't I don't want to sort of imply that the people in there are deliberately doing the wrong thing because they're constrained by the organization. Uh, I know for myself, uh, from 14 years with Pfizer, there are many things we did, sometimes related to security as well, where it was infuriating to watch, to watch the way the organization handled it. It was the wrong thing to do for the customers in terms of communication and transparency and honesty, but it was probably the right thing to do for the organization. And that's their priority. And, you know, some people are going to get pissed at this, but they belong as part of a publicly listed company. Their number one accountability is to shareholders and they're going to protect the organization uh, to the fullest extent they can so i don't think this is surprising it's shitty yes and i would argue if it was me in there (laughs) and i had any sort of influence i would handle it differently but it's not so here we are i think they could do a lot better okay what else in here before i move on to the very last topic um there's a comment from James here. Education is better than the tech wall. Great. I think we all agree on this. David, if your kids have a phone, they can tether. Best to chat with, not to, the kids rather than try and manage them at network level. Um, so, so while we're back on kids, one of the things that both my kids have really been enjoying is listening to Darknet Diaries. And if you've not listened to Darknet Diaries before, it's a fantastic podcast. Uh, I've been on a couple of times. It's not fantastic because of that, but uh, I've, I've sort of spoken to Jack. He's a, and he's just he tells wonderful, wonderful stories, and they're stories that the kids have really enjoyed as well. If you want a story you can listen to with your kids, there's one called Jenny, and my kids have listened to it twice now. And she's a physical penetration tester, and she talks about how as a little kid she used to break into buildings, and then she starts getting serious jobs before like physical penetration testers are really a thing. And I love the enthusiasm my kids get from listening to Jack and his stories. Uh, And I would like to give them as much information as possible about this and and feel that they're empowered to use technology in a good way. So, yeah, give them that. That's awesome. Brendan, lawyers talking about things they have no clue about. Fire them. Well, I I guess the problem is is that... if we want to talk about people talking, they have no uh, things that they have no clue about. We will talk about Missouri in just a moment. But the thing that lawyers, I guess, do understand is, is covering asses, mitigating risk, damage control. You know, like th- this is what they do, uh, and unfortunately, that's not always consistent with the values that we would hold as as technology people. Nick 007, organisations have to protect themselves. Uh, Message retracted. <laughs> okay, maybe you change your mind on that. Brendan, speaking of Pfizer, I'm double jab now. It's oddly satisfying saying this. Good on you, mate. So, yeah, so am I. We got done. When did we get our second one? I think it was July. It's quite a while ago now, but it, it, it is nice to, to do that. Um, Burton, did you fully recover from your video accident? I had a wakeboard crash, which is not unusual, but well, I think it was Tuesday. My good mate, who lives very close to here, calls up and he's like, 
have a look at the water. Like the water's just glassy. It was overcast. It had been raining a bit, but the water was just like silky, silky, silky glassy. He's like, let's go wakeboarding, which is code for can you please bring your boat over to my house so we can go wakeboarding. <laughs> sort of said to Charlotte, it's like, hey, do you want to be like a spotter? So we drive over there and we go out and we're wakeboarding. Uh, and, and for context, we set the speed at about 21 mile an hour. For some reason, the boat wants to do everything in Imperial. That's the speed of the boat. When you pull in hard on the wake, you'll be doing quite a bit more than that. I just, I felt super, super uncoordinated that day. And I was jumping from one wake, trying to land on the other side. It just wasn't quite far enough. I got off kilter. Long story short, I just went backwards and like smacked my head on the water. I just felt like hitting concrete. Uh, in the past, I'm sure I've had concussion from that. This time, I didn't feel that. We just got up and went, ah, oh, it's probably time to go wake surfing, which is done at about 11 mile an hour, and you're just on a board behind the boat. You don't even hold on to the rope because it makes such a big wave. But yeah, mate, I'm okay. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. <laughs> Nick 007, what I was going to say is organizations have to protect themselves, and that is what their lawyers will do. Exactly. All right, last thing. Missouri. <laughs> I just got to read this. Oh, it's hilarious. Uh, Governor Mike Parsons. Through a multi-step process, an individual took the records of at least three educators, decoded the HTML source code, and viewed the social security number of those specific educators. We notified the Cole County Prosecutor and the Highway Patrol's Digital Forensic Unit will investigate. And um, he he does he does rabbit on a bit. <laughs> if I look for the word hack, this is just hilarious. Um, this matter is serious. The state is committing to bring to justice anyone who hacked our system and anyone who aided or encouraged them to do so in accordance with what Missouri law allows. And this is where I might be in a bit of trouble. <laughs> the hack was, it sounds like there is a website for educators, and uh, I've not seen it, but I imagine it has their photo and their name and some details about them. And if you look at the HTML source code, it has their social security number in there. So someone, let's use the technical term, cocked up royally, and put the social security number of educators in the HTML source. Now, I don't know if it was in a comment or if it was in an attribute of a tag, or maybe it was a hidden, a hidden field, who knows? But they put the social security numbers in the source code. And someone literally went like F12 DevTools and they found it. And this reporter reported it to them. They fixed it. And then he wrote about it. And now we've got this bloke who's saying that they've hacked the system. And then he goes, oh, like, he's, he just he keeps doubling down. <laughs> it's the next tweet. A hacker is someone who gains unauthorized access to information or content. This individual did not have permission to do what they did. They had no authorization to convert and decode the code. It's source code. You sent it to them. It's like this is the way the web works. I've been doing web development for uh, 16 years. No, it's 26 years now. 95. I have hacked so many websites. <laughs> I have viewed so much source code. And where I think I made it worse for me is, uh, and I'm just waiting for the lawyer letter now. <laughs> I tweeted. It's a few hours ago. 
I'm gonna, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna put this tweet in the comments here. I'd like everybody to go and retweet this like immediately. I tweeted complete step-by-step guide to hacking gov pass and MOs. I, I added him because why not? Website, number one, press F12. And then that's it. And then there's just like a screen grab of the source code there on the page. And this is, this is absurdly stupid. Now, in defense of Gov Parson, Governor Mike Parson, having been to Congress, (laughs) I understand that there are people who are lawmakers who don't understand the nuances of technology. And I don't expect him to understand that. Uh, I remember when I went to Congress and I spoke to congressmen and congresswomen who were doing the thing about the impact of data breaches on knowledge-based authentication. These people had to go from that hearing into a hearing about the opioid epidemic. Now, these are two fundamentally different topics, yet they had to be across it. And, And the reason they're across it, or the way that they're across it, is they have staffers. And the staffers explain to them how the thing works. I spent a lot of time with extraordinarily smart staffers who understood all the ins and outs of data breaches and technology and security and all this sort of stuff. And I imagine there were other staffers that they spoke to later on who were healthcare professionals that understood the impact of opioids on individuals and their society and all the rest of it. So I don't expect this guy to understand it. But someone behind him has got no fucking idea what they're talking about. And he has to wear that because ultimately he's the mouthpiece. And honestly, the discussion this guy should be having right now is how far up the ass do we kick the person that gave him the advice to say this? So he's accountable for it. They're his words. But I think there's got to be some very, uh, some very serious questions asked by Governor Mike Parsons about this. I'm really hoping this tweet goes a bit viral and gets a little track. I thought it was really funny. It's got 531 likes already. That's not too bad. All right. <laughs> Let's look at the other comments over here. <laughs> Brendan, this is hilarious. Takes a swig of beer. Is code for what the frick have these fools done? <sighs> Nico, you wouldn't view source a website. So I think Nico's made a reference here to the uh, Recording Industry of America uh ad campaign which said you wouldn't steal a car as a way of trying to justify that you shouldn't steal a movie now this was always really really bad and i've written a blog post about i got a blog post for everything um and this is irl analogies (sighs) the reason that analogy didn't work i appreciate we're going a little bit off topic here i will drop it into the the chat thread here (sighs) if someone steals your car they have your car you don't have your car anymore. If someone steals a movie, there's an extra backup of it. The original one is still there. You have another. This is not justifying piracy, but this is just saying the analogy doesn't work. It's one of the reasons I don't like the term stealing data in terms of a data breach. Look, there's another backup of it. <laughs> it's a backup out of your control, but you still have the original data. Someone hasn't taken it away from you. Uh, so good one, Nico. I think that's, that's a good reference there. <laughs> Brendan, uh, facepalm, HTML cannot be compiled. Oh, see, so I feel like we're going to get in another rabbit hole here. Of, is HTML actually code? It's markup. It's not code. And it feels like an attack against the HTML people out there. Anyway, that was funny. Okay, so <laughs> that's, that's pretty much it. I've been going on for more than an hour after a false start as well. Uh, and my beer's getting a little bit empty. So... 
I hope you enjoyed that. I think it has just been a fascinating day. And maybe as a, a wrap up on this, it is an amazing industry, isn't it? Where, I mean, I knew about the Thingiverse thing a week ago, but that only went into Have I Been Pwned roughly 24 hours ago. And then this, this Gov Parsons thing came out of the blue today. And suddenly I can end up talking here today about two things that are just completely blown up in ways I never expected. And I, I joke a little bit when I say to people, it's like, uh, oh, no, look at all the data breaches and all the problems and everything. Uh, but isn't there amazing job security? Uh, and it's true because there's such a, a vacuum within this industry of people that can uh, can stop this sort of stuff from happening and actually do so in a in a I guess a well thought out and well articulated fashion. So look, if you if you're not in the infosec industry already, there's a lot of space for you there. Thanks very much for watching, folks. Uh, I'm going to head off now and I will do this again earlier in my day, Friday next week, probably 10 hours-ish hours -ish earlier next week. Uh, and I'm sure there'll be many other crazy things that happen between now and then. Thanks for watching.